Hello and welcome to Owls About Stats. It's the new show, Doing Sheffield Wednesday by Numbers. Hence the name, Owls About Stats. Just got the nod ahead of three twats with some stats, which was the uh, the runner-up in our competition to come up with uh, a name. Now, if you've listened to any of the FFP podcasts, then you'll already know us three. Um, we've kind of been looking for an excuse to do a real geeky project together because, you know, FFP wasn't quite geeky enough. So let's uh, let's meet the trio. First of all, we have our statistician, Peter. Hello. Hello. Good so um, I imagine most people will, will, will know you from the FFP pods. Peter Lohman, you are in Denmark. You've been a Sheffield Wednesday fan for longer than you care to remember. I have, yeah, since the 92-93 uh, season. Um, so this so yeah. this this new podcast gives you a chance to marry together your two true loves, Sheffield Wednesday, and shitloads of numbers. Pretty much, yeah. That's what I'm hoping for, anyway. Okay, we also have um, our uh, strategist James Allen. Good. I was going to say good evening, James, but it's it's good afternoon from New York. Uh, it is also the day before Thanksgiving, isn't it? Where uh, where you are? Uh, it's it's Thanksgiving Eve. Correct. Yeah, um, which uh, which is a holiday like no other. I don't get Thanksgiving. I'm not going to lie. I don't understand it. Well, that's because you're British, James, and you don't live in America. Oh. That's uh, there's very simple reasons why you uh, you uh, you folks over the wrong side of the pond don't uh, don't understand the beauty of a five day holiday where the entire country shuts down. Oh, Christmas. Uh, we don't celebrate Christmas in quite the same way over here. So Thanksgiving is like the big family holiday. That's the easiest way to analogize it. So uh, today, all of America is all in right. chaos as people try to fly thousands of miles to get back home to friends and family. And uh, I sit tight in my apartment in Manhattan and basically uh, drink beer and speak to people about numbers and uh, Sheffield Wednesday. So uh, happy holidays, folks. Sounds like a plan. Um, so as you may well have gathered from that, I'm James Marriott and my role in this is the realist. Um, so I was thinking, actually, just cast your mind back just barely a couple of months. We were talking about the best start to... Uh, season for Wednesday for in in the championship since we got promoted. Uh, it's been the best this since that. How things change over the course of a few weeks. And actually, when we first started talking about doing this show, I think it was going to be probably a different show to what it's ended up being by the time we've actually got round to um to to recording it. Um, so really, so the show is it's about cold hard facts. Nothing more, nothing less. We we pour over various different stats, lots of numbers, uh, and kind of try and figure out what it all means. Uh, the three of us love a good stat, don't we? Um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a tester episode for us. It's an idea that we've been talking about for uh, for a while, uh, but um, yeah, we're just kind of trying it out, seeing how it goes. We'd be really interested in hearing your feedback, and um, you know, we'll we'll see how often we get to do it. it might be something that we do every month. We'll um, we'll, we'll kind of. Figure things out as we uh, as we go along. Um, so the first section that we uh, that we come to is um, the season so far in numbers. So um, everyone's got something to say about Sheffield Wednesday's season so far. Generally, not all that good. But what do the numbers tell us? And um, I mean, Peter, kind of yeah, let's let's kind of set this from the outset then, because. There's lots of acronyms, there's lots of initials, there's lots of 
kind of words that you'll use that that mean a lot in the world of football stats, but might not do to the layman. So um, just give us kind of like a bit of a, a, a glossier, if you will, of, um, of of what we need to know at this point about the the various different phrases that we're going to hear over the course of this podcast. I mean, the, yeah, the big one is uh, is definitely expected goals, which uh, has really broken into the mainstream uh, over the past couple of seasons. Uh, and I think even the BBC uses it now um, in some of their shows. What it is essentially, though, is it sounds it's a really geeky name. It's a really poor name. But what it really is, is a, is, is a measurement of how good a chance is, uh, depending on the location the shot is hit from, uh, the number of defenders between the ball and the goal, if it's a headed ball, if it's a, from a cross, uh, if it's after a dribble, you can add all sorts of things into it. Uh, but essentially, it's it's a it's a percentage chance of it of uh, the shot being a goal. So if you have a penalty, for instance, three out of roughly about three out of four penalties end up as a goal. So that gives you a, an expected goal of uh, of zero point seven five um, or seventy five percent, and that's really what what you use. So if you have someone reaches goals this season. Uh, only have uh, expected goals values of uh, of like three or four percent because it's from so far out that that no one who shoots from there tend to score uh, unless they're called and reach. So that's really expected goals in a nutshell, and that's that's probably the big one. Because um, the other the other stats that we'll use are quite self-explanatory, like shots on on goal and and what have you. Um, so it's not really. Today it's not really going to be like uh, that big a deep dive. It's more going to be like the available numbers you can find on different websites uh, that we that we use and and, and pour over. Um, there are some guys out there that do some amazing stuff like location uh, stats of, of players. Like they track the location of a player every every um, um, second of of a, of a game and all that. But that's that's beyond us tonight. And uh, and this is be sort of like a, a geeky version, but still a, a gentle. Uh, entry into the world of stats. Great. So they are the um, the acronyms that we need to to know, or the one particular that we um, we need to know. So um, Peter, here is the real question. Then, so um, as far as the stats go, um, how is this season going? I'm covering my eyes up as I ask you that question, almost as if like I don't I don't want to know the answer. Well, the interesting thing is, uh, and you alluded to this uh, in the intro um, when when we first talked about this podcast uh we were in a position where points wise we're doing quite well because we, i think we just reached six at, at that point and all the so-called underlying stats uh that is the expected goals um as i just explained showed that we were quite frankly shit <laughs> um we were probably around uh 22nd 23rd 21st depending on which uh definition of uh, expected goals and which uh, provider of them uh, you use um, and this has been going on actually since uh, almost since uh, Luca took over. Um, we massively overperformed at the back end of last season, uh, and that carried into this season. Um, so I, I was I was actually thinking at that point it would be nice to do a podcast where we say, "Yeah, things are looking good. Uh, like the, 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 the league table is looking good, but the league table is a big fat liar." Um, and it's very likely that we'll see uh, what you could call a regression in in, in performance, where we'll. Uh, We'll stop overperforming so 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 mightily and 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 have performances um, that that link up with the results, um, meaning we we'd lose more than we'd 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 win, and lo and behold, that's actually what happens <laughs> afterwards. So, so it's it's one of those issues. It's a bit like the FFP things. Uh, I mean, uh, you you want to be happy that you're right, but in these instances, it's just a bit shit being right, and 
I mean, I tend to do this a lot for some reason. Um, so, yeah, if you look at, at the league table, uh, it's, 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 we, we're 17th, but if you look like, uh, if you make a league table using least expected goals, um, you, we, we are about, yeah, uh, just, just above the relegation zone, uh, and, and, and in some of the models actually inside the relegation zone. Um, right. so it's not really looking good. <laughs> Are there any shining lights? Is there is there anything that um, suggests that we're about to turn a corner? Is there any kind of hope that we can cling to? I mean, there's there's one uh, peculiar stat actually, um, and we can call this the the Adam Reach factor. Um, we we we're actually quite good at scoring goals from from outside the uh, the box. Um, there are actually only three teams um, from the top five div- uh, leagues in in Europe that's uh, that, that are that are better than us uh, converting shots from outside the uh, the box. We score one in every ten shots from outside the box, which is quite extraordinary. I think the uh, the second team in in the in the championship is about five percent. Um, that obviously leads to the question: that's not likely to be sustainable in the longer term. So we've been really be- been relying on on. The uh, Adam Reach get out of jail card um, for for a lot of games. Um, so even though we're 17th and everyone's complaining we're, we're underperforming and we're not doing well and we're not playing well, we're actually worse than that. If you could uh, if you could say that just to uh, just to make it annoying. A term you just used, which I thought was very um, very technical and and quite foreboding from a mathematical point of view, it was uh, the league table is a big fat liar. Uh, which reminds me of, uh, of sort of an era when I was actually in maths lessons back in school. And, and what you're basically saying is that when, um, when times were better in September and we were sort of, you know, we were accumulating points and, uh, and winning unlikely games, it was because we were defying the odds and Adam Reach was smacking in goals from 35 yards, which were improbable, as opposed to the underlying factors of the team being in, in kind of rude health. Is that basically, basically the point? Yeah, definitely. What what uh, I mean, I don't I I don't want to dwell on negatives, but I've got to kind of probe and see, you know, just just how bad is it in terms of the stats? So you know, we've we've bemoaned Wednesday defensively this season. What can we take from the stats about how our defence has been performing? Is it as bad as it as it seems to us? Short answer is yes. Um... The issue is we 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 defend very deeply, um, and and the numbers actually bear, bear that out. We we block more shots than uh, than I think all the other teams, or at least most other teams in in the division. Um, and if you block a lot of shots, it's usually because uh, the shots are taken from quite close to the goal. Um, and if you look at the uh, one thing is the the expected goals that we create ourselves, but if you look at the expected goals of the opposition. Um, uh, Accumulates during the game. Uh, that is the quality of chances they have against us. Uh, we're actually the worst in the division. Um, so, so our attacking uh, side of things is actually carrying our team at the moment, even though it, they're, they're hardly uh, very good as it is. Um, so, so, Peter, it might be helpful to kind of provide some numbers to yeah. uh, to actually kind of illustrate this, right? So, if I understand this correctly, looking at the uh, the exceptionally comprehensive spreadsheets that Peter's provided. Um, on average, Wednesday score a little bit less than one goal per game this season so far. Um, but across the course of the season, we're on average conceding at least 1.75, so almost two goals per game. So basically shipping yeah. two goals for every one we score, right? 
Um, and that yeah. compares to teams at the sharp end of the division who are typically doing the exact opposite. They're, they're scoring two for every one they concede or, or less. And, and that, that's the stark reality, isn't it, of, of the way we're defending, which is, you know, we, we would have to drastically improve our attacking productivity if we were to overcome that deficiency of, uh, of conceding at least, you know, a goal, if not two goals every game. And the interesting thing is actually, if you look at the, at our shot conversion and if you compare to, uh, to the season of 2016, uh, 17, uh, our best season in, in, in recent years, um, we're actually converting more shots into goals. Um, our conversion rate is, is 11.2% and, and the, uh, the conversion rate in 1617 was 9.7%. So the issue here is not our strikers being shit. It's actually the, uh, the, the chance creation and, and, uh, and then the build up to, to chances that, that we don't do well, very well this season. And, and, um, especially compared to 1617, I mean, we, we, we have a lot, lot fewer passes and not just the mundane sideways, backward passes, but even the forward passes, the passes into deep areas, as it's called analytically, that is into the box or into the six yard box. We, we're one of the worst in the, in the division at completing passes into, to the box. Um, we're one of the, the worst teams in, in the division at, at, uh, at, at crossing uh, the ball, at at, uh, at at getting chances close to the goal. Um, so so the reason Adam Reese is scoring worldies is because he has to, because um, there's no one else uh, getting goals um, from from anywhere um, further up the field. I mean, and, and our strikers are compared to the, uh, the to the input they have, the output that strikers give us goal wise is, is actually quite decent uh, overall. Um, so it's not really there the problem lies. The problem is uh, further, uh, further uh, back in the, in the same in, in midfield, and it's all linked together. Obviously, um, I mean our defensive issues isn't isn't a, an issue just with the with the defense or, or the goalkeeper. It's it's also definitely an issue with the, both the strikers and midfield. And, and conversely, if you're not attacking well, it's also an issue can be an issue with with the defense as well, and 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 definitely also the also the midfield. Um, so, Peter, this, and if, and, this raises and, and, an important point, doesn't it? Because there, there is a point at which you kind of you try and explain what you're seeing with your own eyes, with with the trends that the numbers explain to you. So, you know, Wednesday fans, I think, probably increasingly frustrated with our lack of attacking flair. I mean, that came to a head um, in, in in the most recent game that we played at Bramall Lane. Um, maybe that was an exceptional circumstance, but you know, the the lack of productivity of the midfield unit and of the ability to create a high press and get balls into the box and create chances for our strikers bears out in the fact that we're just simply not we're not creating that movement and that positivity in midfield that would lead us to to start to try and overcome some of our defici- defensive deficiencies. And then it bears out in the numbers as well in terms of the amount of pressure that we invite onto ourselves and and in a fragile defensive situation start leaking more goals. Yeah, and I think, I mean, Luca is uh, insistent uh, in, in several press conferences that uh, he doesn't care how many we concede as long as we score more than, than the others do. I mean, the, the Kevin Keegan style of football, right? But Kevin Keegan's style of football is getting loads of chances uh, and having comparatively quite a few goals as well. So we're not really doing we're not doing the defensive part good, and we're not doing the chance creation part good. You need to do either one good to be a team that is going to be there thereabouts uh, in, in the top six at the end of the season, and that's that's really our issue because um, in fifteen sixteen uh, uh, and in sixteen seventeen we had a really solid defense, uh, and that was. As I said, we, we, we score more goals from, from a chance we get now than, than we did in 16-17, even though we, we finished as highly as we did that season. Um, so that, that tells you that the difference is, is definitely the defense. Uh, and that's um, and, and the way I see it, if I mean, numbers tell you one thing, but well, you guys tell, tell you, tell you uh, lots of the same things as well, I think. Um, 
it is we, we're defending yeah. really deeply. Uh, we retreat. We don't press the ball, um, which means the uh, the opposition get a lot of time on the ball. And and if you look at at how how often they complete passes into our box, uh, it's also we, we're also one of the worst uh, in the division in, in in that regard. If you look at that uh, at those numbers. I want to just kind of touch back on, um, we, we were talking about specifically about balls into the box because, uh, we all hear it at, at Hillsborough. I hear it week in, week out, uh, whereby people just say, just get the ball in the box. Uh, there's always a lot of talk about how, you know, we don't, we don't play well enough with wide players in order to, to do just that and, and get crossed into the area. Um, I guess this is probably kind of a question to to both of you, and and, and I'm sure Peter, you'll have some, uh, or you may well have some stats that help kind of bear this out a little bit. Um, is that actually what we should be doing? Is there evidence to say that the reason we're not doing very well this season is because we're not getting enough balls into the box, or is that just a, a load of rubbish? Um, and I guess as well, thinking specifically about headed goals, because we haven't scored very many of them this season. And that's right. Um, it's actually one of the the areas where we where we. Really, it's really noticeable how, how we changed, we've changed uh, compared to, to 1617. Um, in 1617, we were the division's best at scoring header goals. We actually scored uh, a header goal every other game, roughly. This season, we only have a, a header goal every, every five games. Um, and that's 16th in the division. So it's not like, it's, it's not what explains our, our, uh, our, our troubles this season. It's just, it's very, it's very, um, noticeable that, that we progressed, uh, from 1617 in, in this statistic. Uh, and if you so, see is that, how, is that how, how many, not enough ball box. Uh, in some regards, yeah. Uh, but if you look at the, like how many of the headed attempts we have, um, because back in sixteen seventeen we were also one of the one of the top teams in division at, at how many shots on uh, on goal we had uh, from from headers. Um, we scored fourteen percent of our headed attempts, um, and this season we only scored eight percent of our headed attempts. Um, so I mean, even if we put more balls into the box, um, we might not see um, a bigger return and and the other point is if you if you ask like clever people like truly clever people not like three uh, idiots like us um that I into the coaching part of the game and 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 fusing coaching and, and uh, analytics um if you think about a cross uh, like if, if you put a cross into the box uh, especially one of those floated crosses which we seem to do a lot there's every chance that it's going to be be cleared and, and headed away i mean um most most crosses uh, do not end up as a, as a chance on goal or, or even close close to. So when you, when you, when that head of clearance comes in, and if you have players running into the box, you might be uh, be, be out of organisation uh, defensively. So the opposition actually has uh, an advantage uh, counter attacking when when you put in a lot of crosses because the the team can be anyway uh, unbalanced when 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 you're relying on crosses and and it opens up our def- defensive organisation, which is uh, very frail as it is. Um, so I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't as uh, per se uh, advocate uh, just pinging in more crosses. Um, but it is noticeable that we have some really good headers of the ball in, in the team. I mean, Stephen Fletcher and, and, and to some in some regard uh, Nuhi as well are really good headers of the ball. And we have um, a player like Reach. Uh, I think his his ability to to make runs into the box is actually underappreciated um, because of uh, all the, the long ranges he scored. But he's 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 picking up some of the traits that, that Kieran Lee has at being good at, uh, at coming into the box and, and actually getting on the end of uh, of crosses with uh, with either his feet or, or or his head. So we have players that could benefit from more crosses, but do we have the players capable of delivering those good crosses? Reach. Well, the, the, the interesting point, the though, crosses. Peter, is that right. the. I mean, the, the the players that we're playing with now are not 
dissimilar from the players that we've been playing with for the past two, three years, right? I mean, there's a, there's a few exceptions to that. Obviously, the youngsters who are coming in through the youth team, so the Matt Pennies, uh, the John Thornleys. Um, but the midfield of today is pretty much the midfield we had two years ago. Um, you know, you've got players like Adam Reach, Barry Bannon. Um, you know, it, it's arguably that the style has evolved. Um, and it's, it's interesting to note that even under Carlos, when, you know, we were accused of playing defensively and cautiously, we, we retained possession of the ball very well. You know, our, our general possession statistics across the course of the game would be, you know, significantly in excess of, of 50%. We, we usually have 60, 65% of the possession. And, and it's been noticeable over the last two years just how much we've decreased the amount of, um, not just crosses into the box, just balls into the box generally, right? You know, in the order of 25 to 30%. I mean, it suggests that there is a more cautious approach under this regime in terms of use of the ball and possibly confidence mm-hmm. within the players in terms of their willingness to take on a, um, you know, or, or to play patient football and then, then to, to, you know, create a chance and, and to play those, um, those strikers into position. It, it, we just don't seem to be seeing that in the last six to eight months. It, it, does that bear out in the numbers? Yeah, that's that's definitely it. Uh, and it, I mean, it's it's all it's all fair playing a more cautious style of football. Um, I mean, you can do. I mean, look at Middlesbrough, for instance. That's what they're doing, and they're and they're, <laughs> they're doing really well uh, playing that way. But you have to have the organisation to back it up, and we don't have that. So if you rely on being able to absorb pressure from the opposition, rely on on being able to. To play the percentage play uh, instead of uh, overloading when you're going forwards, um, you need to have that uh, foundation defensively to build from and, and to, to resist the opposition. Because that's not if you're playing cautiously, you're not you're not trying to score more than the opposition, are you? You're trying to nick one nil wins in like a George Graham Arsenal style, aren't you? Um, and it's it's a bit it, that really harks back to what sort of identity and philosophy do we have as a team? Do we have one? Is probably the question, and that's what really jumps out from the numbers. It's it's we're a bit of all over the board um, in some ways. You can't really tell clearly what sort of style of football we're playing from from the numbers. Whereas a team like Middlesbrough, it's really clear what style of football they're playing. A team like Brentford, really clear. Swansea, really clear as well. You, you can tell even from the numbers and 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 joining them together, you can tell. Okay, this is a team focusing on on, on passing and possession football. This is a team focusing on on percentage play and 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 balls into the box and and, and so on. And we don't have an identity, do we? Well, I'm going to challenge that a little bit, Peter. I don't know if anyone uh, who's listening has been following Experimental Three Six One, which is a fantastic uh, football analytics site. If you don't already, but um, they have a beautiful two by two which talks about kind of the. Um, the level of uh, of activity within your attack and defence, which is kind of a way of basically saying, are you creating a lot of chances or fielding a lot of chances? Well, we've kind of talked about the fact that Wednesday are doing um, less of the former and more of the latter. So the, the way they uh, classify the quadrant we fall into is uh, busy defence, quiet attack, right? I mean, that's that's pretty much bears out, you know, the way that Wednesday have played most games this season. And therefore, we are reliant on those shots from outside the box, maybe set-piece situations in order to, um, to grind out results. And it would then be reliant on us having a, a well-organized defense, which I think we could say from the numbers and from reality hasn't been the case this season. So um, maybe that's our identity. You know, by sitting deep and holding the ball, we invite pressure onto ourselves and the hope that we're going to be able to take those one or two rare chances that come up from a set piece. But I don't think that's the identity that Wednesday would aspire for um, or that any of us as fans would aspire for. So it suggests that we're, we're kind of clinging on for dear life rather than having an assertive personality in this division. And it's also maybe um, a function of uh, 
of Lukács philosophy. If you, there was an interesting uh, interview um, a few days ago uh, in the Star where, where he said, uh, "Oh, sorry, not in Star. Um, it was in a in the Football International, uh, the um, the Dutch um, football magazine." Um, and he basically said, "I'm trying to give the players more uh, responsibility. Um, I'm not the gaffer. Uh, I'm not the archetypal um, uh, English manager that that will tell all the players how to do exactly what they're doing and and uh, and uh, and uh, eyebrow the ball in and early doors and all that Ronics and stuff. Um, I'm I'm trying to get the players to take responsibility on on the pitch and 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 not telling them exactly what they're going to do and and how how to play the opposition, but to to adapt to the situation as it moves along because you can do all the planning ahead." But if the team that turns up you, you, and that you're playing against uh, play differently, if you don't, if you only have a plan to, to fall back on, then, then you're going to struggle. You have to be able to adapt. And and he's saying that our players aren't used to that, uh, and that our players maybe aren't suited to that. So that leads to two that leads to two conclusions: either his approach should be ditched, and probably him as a manager should be ditched, and we should bring in uh, an old style English gaffer and. Have a, a a flurry of results in maybe six months, and then six months in six months' time we're we, we're going to struggle again. Or we we rely on on a very long term process of Luhukai changing the players' philosophy and approach to to playing football games. Um, it's a bit of a, a bit of an ask uh, of of our fans uh, who, as it is, are very impatient. But I, I think that's probably what he's going for, um, and that's what we pr- might be seeing on the, on the pitch. Players being unsure what to do because they're being told to to figure it out themselves, uh, whether that's wrong or right. I mean, we could change all the players, but we've done at least three podcasts on the uh, the fact that we can't do that. So, uh, so maybe we don't go there. <laughs> so, so let's find some um, some silver linings to this season so far, Peter, because it, it doesn't sound like the um, the brightest of pictures, uh, which probably is borne out by our league position and the general mood around Wednesday um, over the last couple of. Uh, Probably the last month or so. Let's let's be generous. Um, who who at an individual level is kind of defying gravity and um, and outperforming expectations uh, season so far? I mean, for example, you know, um, based on the limited number of chances, do we have any strikers who are uh, particularly exceeding expectations? Um, obviously, we talked about Adam Reach. Um, you know, any other heroes in uh, in otherwise a, a squad of um, depressing averages at the moment? <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I would like to start with the, not the strikers, but um, Barry Bannon, for better and worse, because I actually see some 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 drawbacks to it as well. If you rank like the midfielders from different like chance creation, uh, ability to progress the ball, and all these different stats that people can can figure out, Barry Bannon is top three championship uh, midfielder, um, along with actually Oliver Norwood from from United, um, and he, he's he's top of all those stats and. No other player from Wednesday are in the top 50, which is the drawback uh, because we, we really see from the numbers as we've seen with our eyes as well. I mean, it's not it's not a novel conclusion to say that we are relying too much on Barry Bannon, but you can really tell if you look at the numbers how much we're relying on him. Um, and Barry Bannon is not um, is not a, a seven out of ten performance every game sort of player. He's hot and cold, a bit like Forrest Jerry. So when he's cold, we as a team, when we go forwards. Uh, we're cold. When he's hot, we look quite decent. Uh, can can create some chances, but we're relying on on, on a mood player essentially um, to, to create our season. And if you look at the strikers, they actually, as I said, as I alluded to earlier, they're quite they're actually quite decent. Fletcher, if you look at his expected goals uh, versus his, his his actual goals, he's only slightly under how much he, he's supposed to have scored, so to speak. Um, Nuhu, he's 
uh, underperforming quite significantly. He's, he's a bit like the, the old Nuno. He's, he's got one goal and, and in, in quotation marks should have three goals. Lucas Xiao is an interesting case. Um, if you look at expected goals, he should only have had two goals, but he's actually scored five goals. So he's massively overperforming. And that has a lot to do with, with it. again, the sort of goals he scored, obviously, from, from, from outside the box as well and, and, and from, from, from the extremes of the box, which usually don't lead to goals when you shoot from there. And what about players who aren't in the squad today? So, you know, if you look at kind of the uh, the strength of Wednesday's uh, injury table, so the Sam Wenors, the Gary Hoopers, the Kieran Lees, um, you know, how would Wednesday compare against the rest of the division if we kind of just looked at raw potential, if we could actually service all of these uh, these impact players? Is, is there kind of a metric out there that would help us to, to rank that, at least kind of understand our potential if we could get everybody fit and firing? Yeah, there's a, there's a German guy actually that does a, a metric called uh, goal impact. Um, I mean, these analytics people they aren't good at names. Uh, they, they'd probably need the two of you to 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 create a logo and and, and a catchy <laughs> name, to be honest. Um, but but bear with me. Three twats with some stats. <laughs> exactly. Um, no, well, goal impact goal impact guys is it's actually really in its essence is actually really simple. It's it's measuring uh, during the, the the time the player is on the pitch. Uh, how is the team's goal difference? I mean, uh, the, the goal scored minus the goals conceded. And it, it's creates a metric out of that. And, and, um, and, and you can, you can evaluate players, uh, careers. You can, you can actually also see this player, usually a player at this age with this position would be at this point, uh, have, have this goal impact at, at this point of his career, but he, he's here. So, so that signifies he has a lot of potential, for instance. So he's actually, uh, this, this German guy has actually spotted quite a few players that at 16, 17 were just breaking through, uh, where he, where he, where he actually said, this player's got a lot of potential. And, and it turned out that they were really good. Um, and if you look at that, um, uh, statistic, uh, goal impact for us, take the average of our squad. Um, we actually, I think it's about eighth in the division. Um, and, and, and it's, it's quite, it is quite a funny stat because, You've got some some wild teams in there. Uh, I mean, Wigan are fifth in in, in that ranking of, of squads. Um, and again, it's it's not it's not how good the player is perceived to be by by fans or, or how famous he is or anything. It's simply looking at when this player plays, are the team conceding less? Are the team scoring more? Then he's a better player than than the, the player where, where 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 it's vice versa. So so I mean, it it might be it it. It has been performing quite well, actually, um, when, when you use it for betting. When, when you rank teams, uh, if you have the starting lineups of two teams and look at the goal impacts, it's, it's actually better than, than, than most betting odds at, at figuring out who, who's the favorite and who isn't the favorite. And he's, he's picked some, especially in Germany, he's picked some, some, some massive surprises team-wise as well um, in, in seasons gone by. So it's, I mean, uh, I mean, he's, it's, got, it's, he's, uh, he's got his parameters about right, hasn't he, Peter? Because um, I looked at this stat at the beginning of the season and... Uh, if memory serves correctly, he uh, he had Norwich first in the division for goal impact, and yeah. um, you know here we are, seventeen games in, and, and they sit proud at the top of the table. And at the other end of the yeah. spectrum, he had Rotherham with absolutely zero goal impact. Which um, yeah. yeah, okay, they maybe slightly outperform that, but you know it's probably what we would all uh, we would all expect. It's the spread in between where there seems to be so much uh, flexibility and vulnerability to the way a team plays, and, and Wednesday seem to be particularly. Uh, vulnerable to that, that, you know, this style doesn't appear to be suiting some of the higher impact players that we have, um, you know, who need, uh, more license for creativity, but, or, or arguably, if you believe Yoslo Hukai need to take more license themselves to create those opportunities. But 
um, and, it very and, much and kind of brings us to this pivot point in the season. Yeah, and and the, and the other point Luca continually makes, and I think a lot of fans actually missed that from his first post-match interviews. He consistently says, um, "We have to trust. The players have to trust each other." Um, and when we when we have a defeat, it's usually the players didn't trust each other. And again, I have to go back to Barry Bannon here because he's really uh, the, the main culprit in that. He doesn't trust his teammates. Um, he tries to Hollywood pass rather than moving the ball around and and uh, trying to progress the ball and trying to get to the wing or trying to to just make a simple pass. He wants to make the Hollywood pass because he looks at Joe Pelopesi and he thinks, oh, this guy's not going to create a chance. He looks at uh, Alan Reeves and he thinks, oh, he's, he's going to be stopped anyway uh, because they put two men on him. So that's the deeper lying issue for me. Um, that we have hasn't players. He's always been like that, though, hasn't he? Yeah, in some respects, yeah. But um, if you if you go back a few seasons and look at his numbers, he was actually more of a team player then, and he is now because he was playing in a team of of uh, of players more on his uh, level, so to speak. Whereas mm-hmm. now he's he's an indisputably the star of the team, and it doesn't suit him. Um, just like it doesn't suit Forest Jerry to be the star of the team. Um, because they try to do too much, they don't. They don't. The, the thing to do if you if you like the star player and, and the other team, for instance, with Posteri, they put two uh, markers on, on on that player or just mark him really closely. If you, if you use two players, uh, there's a lot of space elsewhere on the team for your teammates to 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 take advantage of. But that's not the case if you get the ball and you try to dribble the two players on you. You need to move the ball quickly to use that space uh, to progress the ball to create chances. And again, we're not playing as a team. That's really the, the that's really what it harks back to, and that's also what you see from the, from the numbers. Actually, they back that uh, back that up. We we don't pass the ball, we don't progress the ball, we don't defend as a unit. We we defend individually. We have a lot of uh, block shots. We have a lot of tackles, which suggests uh, that it's a one on one situations rather than a, a unit or a block of defenders uh, diffusing the situation before it it becomes a, a dangerous chance. Um, so these these are quite clear issues that the numbers bear. All right, let's 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 talk worst case scenario then. If if things don't improve, okay, if we continue playing the way that we are, uh, and we continue on our current kind of path, um, the uh, the the backstop to use a bit of a Brexit phrase there, uh, that I think a lot of us as fans are, uh, have kind of we've even said this. I've said this to a few of my friends, which is. Yeah, well, it, at least there's there's always going to be three worst teams in in this league, and we can even name the teams that that are going to be worse than us this season. So there's a lot of um, kind of different areas that we've looked at where you know we're 16th in the league for this, and we're 17th in the league for that, and we're 21st in the league for for the other. Um, can we afford to rest on the laurels of there are going to be three term teams worse than us this season? So the uh, the expected goals uh, stat, Peter, has a uh, has a kind of a, a sibling, doesn't it, in terms of expected points. So essentially, if you uh, if you play out all of the probabilities of scoring uh, across a team and then compare and contrast them with the opposition, simulate games, you get to kind of a simulated league table, right? Um, and there is a, a kind of a version of this, James, which um, which stands out there at the moment. You know, Wednesday sitting in seventeenth, and it ranks the probabilities of where we might finish at the end of the season. Um, the very good news for us is that the uh, the likelihood of us finishing in the bottom three is is anywhere between you know one and and four maybe five percent. Um, 
finish likely that was finishing mid table is a spread of anywhere between five and six percent for every single position between 18th and uh, an eighth. So, you know, Wednesday are performing generally as a as a mid table team, provided that we continue to score those exception goals. The uh, you know Adam Reach keeps on hitting them from uh, from 35 yards. And the other piece of good news is that Ipswich Town are in our division, who have a uh, nearly 50% probability of finishing absolute rock bottom of the division. So um, <laughs> right now, there's at least one of those uh, those positions taken up, and uh, you know, and Preston and Rotherham, right. despite some good results, are, are kind of you know spreading between 10 and, and 15% for the the other two positions as well. So I think the sh- the short answer, I'll give you an elongated version, is that. Um, Yes, there probably are three worst teams in the division, but we, we need to get on with beating them. We also need to get on with dealing with the obvious deficiencies within our own squad. But, um, you know, um, there's a lot, a lot of games to be played, and I'm sure those probabilities will change as we go through the festive period. Okay, fair enough. So um, I, I think that kind of wraps up the season so far in numbers. Let's move on to our next section of Owls About Stat. And that is Stat of the Month, where each of the three of us picks out our favourite kind of obscure statistic that we have um, spotted. Um, I'm just going to mention now, mine's rubbish because um, I only had about 10 minutes to find it. So um, I'm, I'm just kind of setting it up now. I'm going to go last. Um, so I'll let you two kind of take all the, the glory here because mine is going to be rubbish. Um, James, let's go with you first. What is your stat of the month? You're setting me up here, James, aren't you? You're, you're basically making me go first so I come up with a rubbish stat and then you're going to come trailblazing at the back end and no, actually no, your rubbish honest, stat's going honestly, to be a really good stat. S- no, seriously, it's rubbish. It is rubbish. All right, we'll uh, we'll, we'll we'll hopefully be able to edit that down to a, a short segment then where you just bomb at the end. That'd be brilliant. Um, so my stat is um is I don't know if it's obscure. I may not have taken the uh, the brief completely literally here because um it's a it's a number that's been in the uh, in the public eye actually for the last couple of weeks. But it's one that fascinates me for for a number of reasons, which is um negative eight point eight percent. Which is the the drop off on average this season so far, according to a study by the Times newspaper, between weekend and midweek attendances in the championship. Now, um, I think you know we all know as football fans that it's perfectly logical that, uh, that attendances drop off into the midweek. Um, you know, less people with free time, plenty of people with uh, with competing responsibilities, jobs, bad weather, long travel, etc. But why that's startling is the same statistic last season, two thousand seventeen eighteen, was negative four percent. So in one season, the, the drop-off rate for attendances in midweek has doubled. Um, wow. And why that's uh, so problematic for, you know, for, for championship clubs um, and, you know, for, for clubs broadly within the Football League is there is still a high dependency on gate receipts for, for income. We've talked in the FFP pods just on, on how uh, important that is for a club like Wednesday, which still has a you know, very, very good loyal following and, and drives a high proportion of its income from, from ticket sales. Um, and at the same time, you know, there's a lot of concern that that drop off is being accelerated by the availability of, of games to watch online. So whether that's, you know, using iPhone on the weekend or the sky red button in midweek. Um, you can relate to this. You know, if you're a fan that, that typically travels hundreds of miles for a midweek away fixture or you could sit at home and, 
and watch it using your your satellite subscription, there's there's logic to why you might choose the latter option, even if um, many people would say that the the right thing to do as a fan is is obviously to get off the sofa and go to the game. It has a profound impact on income. Um, it certainly accentuates the gulf between those teams that have less reliance on gate receipts, um, i.e. the uh, the relegated clubs from the Premier League, those that are still um, gaining parachute payments. And it's coming to the head in, in the form of uh, some uh, direct rebellion amongst the championship clubs in terms of uh, pushing back on the new TV deal that's been agreed with Sky. So very, very pertinent to a lot of the conversations we've been having about the level of healthy competition in the championship, whether it's a level playing field or whether those teams that get relegated have an unfair advantage. Very relevant to a club like Wednesday, um, who, you know, still, as I said, uh, have a high rely- reliance on fans coming through the uh, the turnstiles. And a situation that I think, you know, for many purists or just traditional fans, that those of us who care about the game would say is, is is a great shame for reducing the quality of atmosphere at games in the championship as well. So something to keep a real eye on as we go through the season, whether that is a trend that sustains um, or whether maybe there's something of a fan reaction against and, and uh, we start to see something of a moderation. But certainly a, a concerning statistic in, uh, in the supporting um, uh, realm of the championship as it stands. That's a huge statistic, really, because we kind of talked a lot at the start of the season about this being the first season where you can watch, you know, every championship midweek game. You can watch it on uh, on the Sky Red button, and would it make any difference to um, to attendances if that's, you know, kind of like a, a a doubling of the drop from weekend to midweek? That's that's huge. Yeah, it would be really interesting to know the numbers of how much clubs are getting from the uh, increased TV availability of midweek games compared to what the gate receipts would be had that you know extra drop not happened uh, and whether this ultimately is financially beneficial for clubs or um, or not, wouldn't it? Well, in, in the short yeah, term, okay. we, can, we have an answer to that, which is that the, there is no impact, financial impact, because we're still under the same uh, television rights deal as, as in prior years. So, you know, essentially clubs are getting no incremental impact from the sky um, there is an increase next year i think the um the the total spread of of tv income to the premier uh, to the football league um increases from about 90 million to about 120 million next year but spread across 72 clubs with the mathematics that goes through it's not a significant amount of additional income per club i think it it's about 500,000 per per team or something along those lines um, so it, it, I, it is I'm, at the root I'm, of why there is a big debate right now about whether um, whether the TV deal is equitable or whether the championship clubs deserve a greater slice of the pie, and it, you know that has again has you know very impactful considerations for the rest of the pyramid. I've, I've got it in my head, and I might be completely wrong here, but I, I had it in my head that um, fans in the UK can use the um, I want to call it Wednesday Player, and it's not been called that for years. Um, but the, uh, the, what, the thing that you guys use to watch the games over in the States. Yeah, I follow. I follow. Um, that in the UK, you can watch a game on I follow. You've got to like pay for it separately. Um, and I might be making this up. So I kind of thought that there's got to be a revenue, an extra revenue stream there coming into clubs. If you can pay, what is it? Whatever, £9.99 to watch a game in the UK through, um, through I follow. Uh, that would be outside of the TV deal, so there would, in theory, be some potential uh, incremental income coming through that. But you know, if you've maybe got 
fans in the order of low hundreds who are doing that on a weekly basis. You know, even at a tenner yeah, a pot, which is quite steep, frankly, for one game, it's not going to to make a, a significant impact. And obviously, you know, getting a fan to pay ten pound to watch an I follow is is probably a stretch, but that's a significant discount to what they'd pay if they were going through the gate. So it's it, it, it it's troubling for, for clubs that do rely on gate, gate income is what I'm coming to. And, and I think it lays bare this, this dilemma between the riches of the Premier League and just the crazy amounts of money that those clubs get from TV income and those clubs elsewhere in, in English football who rely on, on gate income and, uh, and frankly are being disenfranchised by, by the way that TV is, is monopolising the agenda. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, right, Peter, what is your stat of the month? Well, it's uh, it's not as good as James's, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> hopefully, better than 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 yours. Uh, it will be. Uh, it will later be. on. Um, <laughs> well, I've just looked at. I've just stated within the theme. Really, it's not that obscure, and it's it's quite uh, intuitive as well. Um, if you like, look at the probability of each goal we scored this season uh, again using the expected goals. How likely was the, the shot from this position under those circumstances of being a goal? Twelve of our twenty-one goals have been uh, less likely than 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 odds of uh, ten to one. Um, so that tells you a bit about how how re- how we're really relying on on these these uh, crazy long long shot goals. Um, I mean, if you if you add them together uh, and and say how likely is it that you've scored twelve goals from these sort of chances and and, and you and, and you multiply all the probabilities, you, you're looking at odds like uh, I don't know. Two, three, four hundred to one that that we've scored all those goals. Um, so, so again, um, uh, sorry to say within the theme, but it's uh, it's really a measure of how how we've we've been overperforming, um, uh, and and we might not be seeing, uh, even though it's been bad, and 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 the, and frankly, the, the the derby was quite painful to watch. Uh, it might actually get worse before it gets better. So that was my uh, cheery notes of the month. Yeah, yeah, going going, going down the positive route there. That's good. Uh, right. So my um, my start of the month is it's a number and it's the number eleven. Uh, nothing to do with number of players on a football team or anything like that. Um, it is simply that uh, should we lose to Derby this coming Saturday, it will be our eleventh defeat to them in the second tier, which will make uh, make them the team that we have lost to the most at this level um ever so um 11 would be our biggest number of defeats to a club at championship level making derby officially our bogey team in the second tier of uh, of english football that's that would be devastating. I don't think that's a bad stat at all james I think that, that's actually really startling because if you think about the last couple of years we've it felt like we'd finally broken the derby hoodoo right you know, kind of um, under yeah. Carlos, you know, we started actually beating them. Um, but it looks like we're we're right back on trajectory. Uh, yeah, I mean, they are. I mean, obviously, these these stats are a, a little skewered by the fact that there are teams that we've played more than than others at this level. I think Ipswich are the team that we've played uh, most at uh, this level of, of of any team at all. Uh, but I think Derby come in kind of second or. Third in, in in terms of who we've played most at, at this second tier level, um, but yeah, I mean it's certainly you know more than half the games that we've played against them um, in the championship we've lost. So um, we've really got to make sure that we don't lose on Saturday for many reasons. 
Interestingly, uh, eleven is also the uh, the number of uh, of second tier games uh, of Wednesdays I've attended and seen us lose out of sixteen. That is, <laughs> so uh, there's a good case to be made that uh, mm-hmm. that with a win percentage of twelve point five and uh, and a points per game of uh, of about point six, I should probably just stay away this entire season. Um, and we'd we'd we'd, we'd uh, have a an improvement in, in our form. Great. I, I look forward to when you're over in uh, February then and uh, Wednesday losing consistently uh, while uh, while you're going to the uh, to the games. That's um, that's good stuff. I had a reserve stat, by the way, and it's it's not it, this. This was actually originally going to be the stat that I was going to use just because I was a little um, startled as to why it's possible. Um, no surprise that Barry Bannon, obviously, is the player that's picked up the most bookings for us this season. He's um, taken over from Sam Hutchinson in the uh, pretty much a booking a game stakes. Um, but our second most booked player this season, um, uh, remarkably, considering the fact that um, he's, he's just not played all that many games, is Ashley Baker, who I think has only played seven games, but picked up five bookings. So um, that, to me, is the sign of a player that's maybe slightly struggling a little bit. Right, this brings us to um, section three of Owls About Stat, um, and that is Mythbusters. Now, um, the idea here is that in future episodes, we'll we'll kind of throw this open to, to you um, and let you kind of send in um, your um, kind of perception of things, and, and we'll look at whether or not it's um, it's right or it's wrong. We'll kind of put the stats around um, what it is that, that that you kind of want us to look into. Um, obviously, because this is episode one, we've come up with our own, and we've got a couple of um, you know kind of commonly talked about things among the fan base over the last month or so that we are going to put to our resident expert Peter to see whether or not. There is anything in them at all. Um, so um, number one of our double header is um, is all about Carlos. Now um, he obviously came back out of the uh, the woodwork um, a few weeks ago. Did a few interviews. Did a lot of talking about Sheffield Wednesday. Anyone would think that he's out of work and he's looking for a job somewhere. Um, and there was this kind of theory going around the fan base that they thought it was better with Carlos. And this theory that he added value to the uh, to the playing staff at Wednesday, uh, Peter, did he or didn't he? Uh, well, he um, just overall he 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 didn't. Um, I'm sorry to say, the quote from him is actually that, and I quote: "We brought in players with value, and the value of the players has now gone up four or five times more than what we paid." Uh, and then he mentions some of the players and. Um, and and how he's very proud of uh, what he did and how he created the value for the players he points at the club. Again, uh, that's that's not true. Um, I mean, he spent a lot of money on transfers, um, even excluding the, uh, the the last his last season where where, where Roach's transfer and, and Fanakin's uh, transfer will, will will figure in the accounts. He uh, he spent uh, twenty one million pounds on uh, on on uh, on transfers during his time at the club. Um, and the wage bill um, grew by fifty million pounds during his time. If you compare that to Stuart Gray, uh, his predecessor, um, Stuart Gray spent one hundred and seventeen, sorry, one hundred twenty-seven thousand pounds on transfers, and the wage bill increased by one point five million during his time at the, at the club. This was this was the guy who finished ninth um, in the championship. Remember, um, so. 
if you add those numbers up and you look at the the extra wages we we spent in the season, we, we were actually looking at um, uh, at Carlos's um, first two seasons being uh, uh, an extra spending compared to Stuart Gray's time of a, a combined sixty million pounds. Um, and you can look at the team now, and and you can look at the team now and ask yourself. Is this a team better equipped for finishing ninth than when than when Carvajal joined the club? Uh, <laughs> I would have my doubts about that. Um, wow. So what I'm basically saying is, Carlos is is playing the 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 card that we that we did. Well, we have discussed also on the in the FFP podcast that you you invest in players. You don't buy players because they're famous or because they have a name and because they're of whatever uh, fan related. Uh, uh, thing with them. Uh, you, you buy players because you invest in them and expect their value on their stock to increase so you can make a profit on them. This is the, the Brentford model and how Brentford bankroll being a, being a club that can, that can spend um, around 10th in the division, even though their, their revenue is about uh, 22nd in, in the division. So he's, he's essentially trying to tell us that, that we, we did that when, when he was here, and, and we didn't. We, we bought, uh, sorry to say, we bought dots. Um, <laughs> they're not increasing in value uh, as a whole. Um, so, so yeah, uh, there are a few of those that they bought, obviously, that increased in value. I mean, um, if you take Forestieri, if you take Bannon, if you take Winnell and Reach, those four players uh, we got for a cheaper price than, than what, what, what they're worth now. But if you look at the remaining 21 players he signed, and he signed 21, 21 more players than, than those four, uh, there, there's no progress in, in, the, in the value. And bear in mind, during the, the two years he was here, the inflation in the, in the, in the transfer market, uh, both worldwide, but also in the championship was absolutely insane. You're looking at, at increased rates of like 20, 30%, uh, more paid for, for a player of similar quality, um, just because more money is coming into the game. I mean, this is why you have players in the, in the Premier League that are bit part players being sold for like 40 million pounds now, where say five years ago, they'd be worth five million pounds because there's more money in the game. So even this in this environment where, where the player values are increasing uh, exponentially, Carlos, uh, with a few exceptions, did not create value with his transfers. Um, and obviously, uh, in this piece, he says he takes ownership of the transfers. We've had this discussion before. Was it the transfer committee? Did he actually do the deals? Is he innocent? And it, but this piece of... Uh, of interview uh, suggests uh, he suggests very heavily that he was a guy signing the players and he's taking ownership of of, uh, of some some uh, fairy tale story that that their values increased, uh, which is not the case. And again, we had all this money; we had sixty million pounds over two seasons. Sixty million pounds. It's not as much as the parachute payment clubs, but if you invest that wisely, if you invest it the Brentford way, if you do your homework on players, if you Spend some money on on analysing uh, players in other at other clubs. Prepare for for the next three or four transfer windows. You'll be able to do so much with sixty million pounds, uh, and we've done essentially nothing. We're right back to where we were, and that's really so. James, really it's, it's fair to say that um, you know the idea behind this segment is that we will offer some objective analysis to uh, to cut <laughs> through and and fact check you know some of these uh, these questions that come to us. Peter may have set a slightly low bar there in terms of possibly offering a few opinions. However, listen carefully to the numbers. In valuation terms, Carlos did not add four to five times the value uh, of the uh, the players that he signed. So, uh, Peter, uh, it sounded like a slight axe to grind there. I could be wrong. Oh yeah, I'm just. Uh, it's just. I mean, there's there's some. There's, 
there's a there's a concept in uh, sorry to bring this into the the podcast because it should probably remain in the in the private uh, WhatsApp conversation between us. But there's there's a there's a German term called uh, a Schnellficker, which is uh, really uh, quickly translated is a it's a quick shaker. It's the kind of guy who who runs around with his uh, shirt unbuttoned down to his, his navel in in a nightclub. He's too old to be there. His hair is his hairline is receding, but he still thinks he can he can score the the, the good looking girls. That's kind of like who Carlos was to us. And now he's trying to tell us that we had such a good time together. Um, whereas he just he just he shacked us and he left us there in the in the in the pop toilet uh, and 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 without the cleanings <laughs> even. And 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 now he's he's trying to tell us that it, it was it was a really good time. We had good times together, fair enough. But don't try to tell us you added value to the club. You didn't. We got absolutely sunk down the river, and Sanchez's money's been wasted. That's the truth of the matter. I think I think that's a fairly conclusive a fairly uh, answer on um, on that one. Right then, so um, the right then, second so, um, of our double um, double header tonight is um, right. Okay, so this is something actually that we've talked about a bit on um, the Wednesday week, and I think there's a fair few fans that have have mentioned stats related to this. So uh, Peter Cameron Dawson. Um, obviously he's had a fairly mixed season. There's been various opinions knocking around about him, but from a statistic point of view, um, there's the stats going around that he's actually, you know, the best keeper in the division because of the number of saves that he's made per goal he's conceded. Is there any truth in that? Um, short answer is no. Um, I think you touched on this, uh, last time, uh, and, and, and James, you and, 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 and Fudge were a bit, uh, trolling towards Victoria, but I think the, the, the point you were trying to make is if you make a lot of saves, it's because you face a lot of chances. Um, and I mean, a way to, to relativize this, uh, stat of making saves is to look at how many saves you make for each goal you concede. If you look at that statistic, because it's true what Victoria was saying on, on, on the last uh, Wednesday week podcast that he is, he is the keeper with the most saves in division. But if you look at, at saves per goal instead, where, uh, his, his stats bear, bear, bear him out to be, be uh, mid-table, to be 12th in the, in, in the division. So the real story here is, is he is making a lot of saves, but it's only because he's facing a lot of shots and he's not doing more than, than uh, a part of the course job of, uh, of keeping the ball out of the net and, and, and it's the same picture you get when you look at uh, again. I'm sorry to hack back to, uh, to 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 expected goals, but you can you can also look at the expected goals value of the shots you face, and then you can look at a keeper and say, okay, you should have conceded five goals, you conceded six goals, so maybe you're you're worse than the average keeper. And if you look at Cameron Dawson, he's he's actually just about um, a ratio of one to one. I mean, for each expected goal he faces, he concedes a goal. Um, so is that good? Is that bad? No, it's neither. It's average. So he's not the best keeper in the world, but he's not, as some were making out uh, very crudely uh, at Hillsborough um, a few weeks ago, the worst keeper in the world. So for a young guy his age, I suppose that's quite good. Um, will he improve? We've no way of knowing. Um, but if you look at, at expected goals uh, faced for, for keepers in, in, in previous seasons, um, well, Wildsmith uh, last season did uh, significantly better. Um, Westwood did better uh, in 16-17 and especially in 15-16. Um, so if you compare Dawson to the keepers we used, we had uh, the last few seasons, he, he's, he's, uh, he's not the, the best of them. He's, he's the worst of them um, in relative terms. But he's, he's just an average keeper, uh, which is, I guess, fair enough, considering we, we're an average team. <laughs> 
Okay, fair enough. Um, so that is a couple of um, of myths well and truly busted. Um, and we're after your suggestions for things that you'd like us to tackle in future editions of Owls About Stats. So if there's something that you really believe or you really want to know whether or not it's true or not, um, then drop us a line and we will look into it and we'll well and truly uh, bust that myth for you. Uh, right now, James Allen, I'm going to hand over to you for our next section, which is where we reminisce about days gone by. Yeah, and wouldn't it be nice if we could just do that all the time? Uh, you may have noticed a theme on uh, on Isles of Americas recently that we've just decided to jettison the uh, the present tense and just live in the past, um, which is uh, it's probably not a bad idea right now as a Wednesday night. But um, what we're going to do with this segment, James, is we're going to um, we're going to try and look at the past through the prism of numbers. Um, which means we'll be selective about the past that we choose and we'll find the numbers that look like uh, they're probably a little bit rosier than the ones today. Um, but we're going to, um, in very timely sense, go back to 1998 today because today we're recording on November the 21st, the, uh, the eve of Thanksgiving, or Thanksgiving Eve, I guess, if you want to use that balance. Um, and a cruising victory for Sheffield Wednesday, 3-1 at home against Manchester United, one of the last big nights uh, for Wednesday at, uh, at Hillsborough in the Premier League, really, I guess. Um, a Saturday I remember well because I was working at WH Smiths on Fargate and I had to uh, sprint for the tram to get to the game for kickoff because my shift finished at 2.30, which was, uh, which was poor planning. Um, but, you know, what we thought would be interesting is, you know, that was a season uh, of transition for Wednesday. We, we were kind of coming off the, the high of the mid-90s, uh, but it was before we properly fell through the trapdoor into the championship. So, you know, where were we in that season relative to, to where we stand now in the... Um, the kind of description that Peter's given us of a fairly um, troubling season this year. So Wednesday went uh, went into that game uh, on kind of a bit of a, a patchy streak. We'd had some uh, some good results. We'd beaten Arsenal at home in the famous 1-0 victory when uh, Palo de Canio pushed over Paul Alcock and Lee Briscoe walloped it in in front of the cop. Um, but we'd also had some pretty crushing victories. We'd, uh, we'd lost 4-0 away at Middlesbrough for... Uh, for no apparent reason. Um, but essentially kind of the, the points per game, uh, in both, both seasons this year and, uh, and back in 98, not dissimilar. Um, Wednesday were, uh, were sitting on about, uh, 1.1 points per game, um, when they, uh, they came off the Man United win. Uh, today we're on about 1.18. So it's, you know, it's not so far. We're basically getting a pretty much a point a match gets us to, uh, to roughly a, uh, just above the relegation zone position at the end of the season if that projection carries on. Uh, in 1998-99, we finished 12th. Quite respectable, really, in the middle of the Premier League. Um, maybe we can aspire to uh, finish middle of the pack in the Championship this year. Um, of course, what came next in 1999-2000 doesn't bear repeating, so let's hope this isn't the precipice <laughs> that we uh, that we follow in historical terms. But where I'm really going to centre this little piece of reminiscence on is uh, a very rare event that happened at Hillsborough that afternoon, which was a goal from one Vim Yonk. Uh, a very lanky uh, World Cup-playing uh, Dutch midfielder who was uh, a crushing disappointment at Hillsborough. And I thought it'd be interesting just to kind of compare him with the uh, the current Muscles from... Oh, not Brussels. Uh, muscles from uh, oh, Rotterdam or somewhere like that, Joey Pelopesi. Um As an aside, by the way, I've been told that I objectify too many of the, uh, the Wednesday squad. Uh, that was by my wife. So uh, I'm going to try and be a little bit less uh, physically descriptive <laughs> in the way in which I describe our players in the future. Um, but Vim Yonk is a bit of an enigma at Hillsborough, principally because he was uh, shit for the vast majority of the time that he played for us, despite his distinguished record. Uh, he spent three years, apparently, with Wednesday, uh, having been signed for about two and a half million. Uh, remarkably, he actually played one game of that uh, lineage in the championship, uh, or uh, Division One as was. He played in the uh, 
terrible game that we played down at Wolves on our first game back after relegation, and uh, I think that was the last we saw of him. But over three years, he uh, he made 69 appearances at, at Hillsborough, or uh, playing for Wednesday. Joey's had uh, 32 appearances already in just uh, under 10 months. So, you know, he's half of the way there to uh, to matching Vim Yonk's appearance record. Um Vim scored five goals in his uh, his time with Wednesday, including that that one strike uh, in the uh, the win against Man United. Um, Joey's only at the one so far that uh, long range strike against Millwall, but he's got a bit of time to catch up, so we'll uh, we'll give him that. Um, and that's kind of where the uh, the comparison falls down a little bit because basically stats apparently didn't exist in the 1990s. Uh, we know that uh, Yonk assisted 13 times in three years, which for a mid- midfielder is pretty miserable. Um, Pelopessi, I haven't actually got an assist stat for him, so I'll have to try and dig that out. Peter will uh, will slap me later on. Uh, but what I thought would get really interesting is if you uh, if you use the obvious uh, reliable statistical database that is Pro Evolution Soccer. So I uh, I dug out <laughs> the um, the PEA history book and found that uh, when Vimyon was actually quite good in the earlier part of the 1990s, he had a uh, he had an attacking rating of 77. Uh, Joey's uh, in 2018 edition only got 66. Um, Vin's stamina apparently is very impressive. He had 87 against 74 for, uh, for And he had, uh, Yonk had an amazing passing accuracy of 87 and shot power of quite startling 95, which frankly we never saw at Hillsborough. Um, Joey only manages 75 and 71 respectively. So on face value, you'd say that Vin Yonk was actually the superior midfielder, but, um, in typical Wednesday fashion, we signed him four years beyond his peak. So he was, uh, he was utter, utter cobblers by the time we had him. So my conclusion is, Joey's um, productivity in uh, six to eight months at Hillsborough already exceeds that of Vim Yonk. So although we beat Man United on this day 20 years ago, at least we've got Pelopessi to try and get us out of the championship mire for the rest of the season. Um, and maybe eventually we'll learn not to play sign players four to five years past their prime. So there you go. On this day 20 years ago in numbers, um, probably a happier memory, frankly, than uh, than potentially one might happen on Saturday. Um, I, I really like the way that you dwelled on... Um... Uh, Vim Yonk's stamina in the middle of um, all that. I thought that was that was a, a beautiful thing. Um, were you uh, were you at that game, by the way, James? I was. Yeah. No. Having having made the uh, the trip across Sheffield from my uh, my shift, uh, sitting on the tills at WH Smith. Yes, I uh, I was. My dad had managed to snag a ticket in the executive boxes somehow, so I took along a couple of friends from school. One of whom supported uh, Man United, so that was particularly nice. And uh, the other one, for some unknown reason, was a blade. Who uh, thought it'd be fun to come and watch Man United? I guess they didn't get to see uh, big teams. Oh, still don't get to see big teams. Um, and it was uh, it was very satisfying. So it was it's sort of a happy memory for my Wednesday sport Wednesday season ticket holding time, I should say, before I moved away from Sheffield. Um, and uh, and as I was saying earlier, before everything you know fell apart the following year, it was kind of one of those big games where Wednesday rose to the occasion and uh, and turned over Man U in a pretty emphatic way. I mean, that was the treble winning side of ninety eight ninety nine. Um, you know, so we. Uh, we did pretty well once again in the, in that season. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, right then, so uh, this brings us to our, uh, well, really our final section of Owls About Stats, and that is looking ahead. So uh, let's look at the month to come. It's a good time to do this because we're coming off the back of an international break and we are basically looking at the the games taking us up to the kind of the, the the kind of the crazy busy christmas period so um our next five games uh we've already touched on one of these so we've got derby at home this coming saturday that's followed pretty quickly by bolton at home the following tuesday games after that we've got blackburn away 
we've got Rotherham at home. We've got Swansea away. Now, um, from my position as the realist, I'm going to look at these games and say, well, we've got three home games in there, including games against Bolton and Rotherham and our away games. Blackburn, all right, they're not having a bad season, but um, you know, it's got to be a game where we can expect to get something out of that. Um, Swansea away, a team that's come down from the Premier League, but um, they've been a little inconsistent. So, um, yeah, in my head, this is shaping up for um, for a period of games where we should be looking to get, what, at least two, maybe three wins out of those. Um, Peter, you're going to completely destroy my theory and throw stats at me saying that we're going to lose all five now, aren't you? Uh, well, not really. Um I mean, if, even if you look at the the, the performances of the team uh, teams, uh, I mean, Bolton and Rotherham, they deserve to be uh, be at the bottom of where they are. Uh, but remember, we've had similar uh, performances uh, to them. Uh, it's not like we've performed outperformed them over the season. So it might be dangerous to consider them uh, easy games. And if there's one thing we've been um, victims of uh, for the past past few years, is it's uh, underestimating teams sometimes. Um, so I think th- those those games are going to be even. Um, but on the flip side, you could also say the the, the Blackburn and then the Swansea game is not going to be as uneven as uh, as the league position might make out. Um, so it's it's one of those tricky situations where where it could be an it's it, it's it's a big spread of of, of possible points. Uh, really uh, realistically looking at it, um, and if you look at the odds of the games, you, you're probably going to see some 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 uh, some quite even odds as well. Um, Purely down to the, the the championship being so so uh, unpredictable uh, and and so tight uh, uh, as it is, um, and uh, I mean, if you look at the the next few games for uh, for the teams below us, it's actually a bit harder if you if you consider the the, the performances the, the teams that they're playing have had in the season. So. In some ways, this could be quite an ideal rehabilitation period for for Luukai if he if he can actually get the team playing some sort of style and 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 get us uh, get us a few points. Um, so so we, we might not uh, shoot up the table, but the specter of uh, relegation, which is uh, league position wise anyway, uh, looks close now. Should probably uh, be a little less uh, daunting uh, come come uh, uh, come Christmas. And we need that run, don't we, Peter? I mean, you know, I joke about us kind of, you know, establish ourselves in mid-table, which is not necessarily the most lofty goal, but we want to be going into the festive period with with at least two or three wins out of those games, just to kind of give us a, a position of stability and maybe some time for us to, to then, you know, kick on a little bit and, and deal with some of the technical problems that we've, we were describing earlier in the, in the podcast. Um, and the teams above us as well have got some some trickier games over the same period looking at it so I think Brentford have got to go they, they play Middlesbrough they um, you know they've got West Brom as well Swansea the same as us so you know there's a there's kind of an opportunity for us to creep up the table a little bit um, what I'm interested in is kind of the XG effect here so again you can kind of almost kind of you know pitch every game on a probability basis right if you uh, if you aggregate that and presumably our hardest game is is the first of the run is, is Derby at home is that fair for us? Uh, Derby aren't actually doing it quite as well as the league position suggests. Um, so, so they, um, so, so they might. I mean, watching them play, they they are quite inconsistent as well, and they they are quite reliant on on a, on a few players, uh, especially up front. And they did have issues uh, at the beginning of the season, but it does look like they they are more of a 
of a unit now more of a, a team that has uh, an expression and, and, and a clear idea of how to, to, to play uh, the game of football. And, and there's obviously the Telus manufacturer of, uh, of, of the manager as well. Um, so I, 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 it's, it's a bit annoying that we get this game first in this run of games because the mood is really sour and, and the, the, the derby didn't really do much to, uh, to, to improve that. Um, it was more of a relief than it was a, a celebration, wasn't it? Um, so, so it, it could be a nasty game because Derby will be one of those teams like Norwich. If if uh, they get the noses in front and we we just down tools, they they could maul us because of the, some of the attacking flair they have in, in the team and uh, in, in in a guy like Mason Mount, who's who's clearly a Premier League player playing at Championship level. Um, so that's a bit of a worry that we play Derby. But conversely, you could say we we if we if the solidity uh, defensively. Um, on at least the appearance of, of defensive fluidity we, we showed the, at the derby because I actually disagree that we were were good defensively in that game. Um, if that if we keep that up and we can stifle Derby, um, they, they they do have a few out. They don't only have a few outlets uh, going forward, so so it might actually be easier to do than than against United, who have spread out the the burden of chance creation a bit more than than, than Derby do. Um, so if, if, I mean, if we get a result against Derby, I would I would definitely take a draw in that game. Uh, no no questions asked. Uh, that would set us, us up nicely uh, for, for for Bolton, Blackburn, and, and Rotherham. And and I mean, anything six points or above from those three games should really get some sort of uh, positivity back with our fans. Um, again, it's not going to mean we're going to shoot up the table and end up in the playoffs, but it should mean we don't have to worry about relegation. Which should enable us to be able to play more of the young players and get them ready and get them experienced enough and get them established as championship players for next season. Because this season, this season is about next season. It's not about this season. Um, and we need to get to a point where relegation is so far away. And, and, uh, I mean, the specter of, of promotion, I, I, I will just forget about that now. And hopefully our chairman will as well. Um, and just focus on laying the foundations for next season and, and doing that properly and, and playing some players. Who aren't the best players on the day, but who, in a year's time, we're going to rely on anyway. So we, we might as well give them the, their experience. I mean, that's essentially what what uh, Luca is doing with Dawson, isn't it? And and we need to do that with more players. And and uh, and again, here's the the trust factor. We as fans need to trust uh, not Luca, but we need to trust the youngsters that uh, they might have blips in their performances, which you do as a youngster, as a developing player, but. Over time, over games, you will improve and and show a, a trend line that is a, that is going upwards. Um, even if individual performances will uh, will vary quite widely, so that's that's sort of my take on it. Cool, um, Peter. Thank you very much. Um, that's going to pretty much wrap us up then for the first edition of Owls About Stats. As we said at the beginning, it's a bit of a tester for us. Um, so, um, you know, we, we're certainly going to look to kind of tweak a few bits and bobs. We'll be very interested in your feedback on, um, on, on, on this kind of, um, kind of pilot edition, if you like, of Owls About Stat. And, um, yeah, I mean, we'd also very much like your questions for, uh, Mythbusters. For episode two, um, you can contact me directly at James Marriott. Um, you can get hold of, um, well, I mean, James Allen, are, are you likely to be drunk now for the next 48 hours celebrating whatever Thanksgiving celebrates? Uh, yeah, it's just basically drinking eggnog and, uh, and eating turkey. It's, oh, no, sorry, that's Christmas. Oh, no, no, it's Thanksgiving. Oh, we do it twice. 
there you go. Uh, yeah, we, we basically do one big dress rehearsal now and then we do it all again in a month's time. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, apart from the taking care of the kids part of it, that's pretty much the plan until Monday. Sounds like a plan. And, um, yeah, tell us whereabouts you are on Twitter. Uh, so you can find me at Manhattan Owl. Um, and, uh, you know, as you said, James, very much a kind of a start for 10 in terms of how we, uh, we set up this, uh, this pod. So really looking forward to, I hope, some, uh, some constructive feedback. I'm sure we'll get some, uh, unconstructive feedback as well. We welcome that as well, just for the fun of it. Um, but yeah, find me at Manhattan Owl on Twitter and, uh, always happy to answer questions and, uh, and engage in constructive discussion. Uh, now, Peter, you are the one out of the three of us that, um, uh, doesn't just do this on a podcast podcast you will continue doing this on your actual twitter account because uh you do tend to um uh, stick out quite a few of your own stats and and certainly kind of um retweeting and quoting quite a lot of really interesting stuff that's out there as well so um yeah tell us whereabouts to find you on twitter yeah i'm at the uh, at p-l-o-e-h-m-a-n-n uh p loman um, and as you said, yeah, that's the numbers uh, in there. And, and um, I mean, a few other things we touched on tonight, I've, I've uh, tweeted or, or retweeted um, pre- previously. So if you want to find this, the numbers, um, either go look at my timeline or just shoot me a tweet. I'm I'm always happy to answer. Um, and like you guys, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how this is going to be received. Uh, with a uh, there's a there's an interest in in, in looking through the uh, the prism of numbers uh, rather than just the the prism of uh, bloody rubbish. Bloody rubbish. Uh, we have got an Owls About Stats um, Twitter account, which unsurprisingly is at Owls About Stats. There's nothing on it yet, um, and we don't even have a, um, a, an official logo yet to, um, to stick on that page. Um, but, you know, I've got it installed on my uh, Twitter app on my phone, so if you want to drop us a tweet via um, that account, by all means, go ahead, and uh, we will, uh, yeah, we'll look forward to receiving your feedback and your questions for us to uh, look at in, I would guess, around about a month's time in Episode 2 of Owls About Stat. Thank you for your company.